am I happy? And I'm like, well, no, I'm always anxious. You know, I always did the best I could at the expense of better opportunities. We're overfinanced intentionally. Another thing we look for is simplicity and process. Are you running a business or are you in the business? And look, it's all about networking. Hey everyone, Dave Men's Laundromat Millionaire coming to you for another great episode of The Laundromat Show from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm with a new friend of mine and I know everybody knows him, but the fact of the matter is I just got to meet him recently. And so I'm excited for those few of you in the industry that don't know this rock star. I'm excited to introduce you to him and let you get to know him because uh, I now consider him a friend and I know he does the same. We are super, super excited for sure. Um, and so let's just jump right into it because I know that me and this guest, we're going to have a few things to say today, Carla. All right. So today's guest is Todd Finner. He is the owner of the Laundry Owners Warehouse Distributorship in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He has been in the business since 2007, is a multi-store owner, and does business all over the world. So Todd, welcome today. It's so great to have you. Carla, thank you. I uh, hope you know what you're in for. <laughs> she does Dave, it, but Dave I do. Dave does. Dave does. <laughs> I hope this to be one of the best, if not the best, in terms of information and fun. Um, whatever you'd like to know, it's my pleasure to uh, share it with you. We absolutely. love an open book. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and I, you probably didn't notice at uh, Elevate, Todd, but I tend to be kind of a little bit of an open book. Um, okay. You probably hadn't noticed, but I do. So that's kind of what the show's all about. It's about me being me and Carla trying to keep me from being me. That's really what the show's all about. <laughs> I understand. She's like, raining she it in a little. Me down a little bit. <laughs> May anyway. I interject? Yes, go ahead. So um, it's, it's well known that you can be uh, to considered irascible to some. It's a fact. Sure. And um, as a person from Ohio, I would say that would be understandable. But the moment I understood that you're a Detroit kid, not only does it make sense, but boy, it makes you proud of another Detroit kid doing what mm -hmm. they do. Yep. And I think that people aren't seeing it from that perspective. And that's why you have what you have. As a kid from Queens, you know, it's our birthright to bust chops. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Detroit's right. even more so. It's, <laughs> it's the birthright of a person from Detroit to stick his finger next to you, not touch you, but next to you and pick a fight playfully. Because <laughs> at the end, you're both just two kids on the playground, right? That's right. And I keep trying there's to no ego. There's no, you know, it's just two kids having fun, trying to be good. I tell Carl all the time, I'm just being playful. And she's like, well, quit playing. You're an adult. <laughs> I don't know. This is just it's who I am, man. I don't, I don't apologize. No, for no growing up. I refuse to grow up. Hold on. All right. This is my business desk. I'm just saying I have Nerf guns, Nerf guns. So there's no growing up whatsoever. So your staff knows if they walk into your office, they could be ambushed at any moment. Well, more likely they'll ambush me, but oh, what we okay. really use it for is, um, you know, at three o'clock, I drink too much coffee as it is. So at three o'clock, whether it's a little bit of sugar or something, when the your blood sugar goes low, you know, it ends up being a bit of a dead hour a lot of times. Maybe it's com uh, contemplative, but more often than not, it's a dead hour for everybody. So what we do is, is um, it's a longer story, which I can be glad to tell you, but um, Nerf guns help because like at three o'clock, you play a little Nerf for five minutes, you laugh, you tell a joke. Um, it, it goes a long way into getting that last, you know, maybe you get a half hour of that last hour, but it's full of joy and, and, and excitement, you know, something fun. Um, and it's really great at diffusing the situation because, you know, sometimes you're upset about something and you don't want to say anything or you do, and it's always playful. It's never, you know, to get somebody, but it's like, I can't believe you just did that. And then the moment you've you know shot them playfully with a Nerf dart from 10 feet away, you know, that stress, it really does. It relieves that stress <laughs> and that you go on. So, you know, I hope it works. That's I think actually it a 
That's, That's a fantastic awesome, point. And I'm just going to call out right now that, that guys, I, I, I knew of Todd because, as I said, he's the man, the myth, the legend. But I didn't know Todd until recently when I went to the Elevate conference out in uh, California. And uh, Todd and I, in my words, kind of clicked uh, oh, yeah. I, for sure. And uh, what, what do we do? Next thing you know, we sat on the patio for five hours till midnight and talked until everybody was asleep except for us almost. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's just a good dude, guys. Good dude. So if you don't know him, you need to get to know him. And he just happens to love laundromats as much as me. And there aren't too many people I've met that are that way. Uh, so pretty cool. I'm super excited. And just from a networking and a conference perspective, um, everybody knows that we have the Laundromat Millionaire Conference coming up March 2nd through the 4th in Fort Lauderdale. It's in Todd's backyard, not literally, but figuratively. Uh, Todd's going to be there. So if you want to meet Todd and get to know Todd, uh, and by the way, if you go, you're going to meet him whether you want to or not. That's Yeah, you know Todd I'm works. there. You'll know That's I'm right. there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, the thing I'll say about it is one of the most, I mean, a lot of good people in my life, one of the most genuine, big-hearted uh, individuals that I've ever met, um, which is why we clicked and talked so well. And as I mentioned in the beginning, well worth the investment of me going down to the Elevate event just in getting to know Todd better. Uh, but guys, if I can point something out to you, that's the power of networking, right? That's the power of these conferences, whether you're online or in person or a clean show or, or our conference, whatever it is. That's how I've learned what I've learned is connecting with people that are powerhouses that are passionate about this industry. It's how we went from a net worth of less than $50,000 to being multimillionaires, quite honestly. Are you renovating your store or building a new one? Tired of persistent and expensive plumbing issues like I was? Get an HM Company drain trough to give those drain lines a fighting chance against the constant wear and tear of laundromat life. Sizing is fully customizable to meet your needs, and lead times are a maximum of two weeks. I've used them in my stores in Cincinnati for years, and I'm installing them in my new store, which is opening soon. Visit their website today at draintroughs.com and contact your distributor to order your drain trough today. All right, listen, I'm going to rewind me because I got too excited. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Tell us about okay. your upbringing as much as you want to share with us. What made Todd into who he is today? <laughs> and then I want to hear about this. For those of you that are listening today, we're going to get to the laundry stuff and the small business stuff. But Todd has a former life on Wall Street. That's a, I, really, I was really interested in some of the things Todd told me about lessons he learned and things like that along the way. We won't spend all day on it, but I would like to hit on it for a few minutes. Uh, but what, what, was, what was little Todd like? Were you like – let me guess. Were you like low energy, just sat on the couch all the time, <laughs> just watched TV and never got up or did anything? Anything. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was walking at yeah. No, I was this. I'm 50. I'm almost 50. Can you imagine me at 11? I mean, no. come on. No, I can't. Um, Are you like I a commercial you, for ADD medicine? Oh, oh I'm, so the, I'm the poster child. Whatever there was. Oh, my goodness. Um, this is going to be so fun. So uh, I'm not 100%, but I'm fairly sure that I could find it even. My report card from Mrs. Burns in third grade said, if Todd could only slow down to 55 miles an hour, he'd be the brightest student in class. Mm. It's the truth. So I've always had whatever this gene is. Then It's really, you know, at its heart, I guess, you know, at a high-priced psychiatrist to tell you it is uh, my father passing at a young age and looking for my father's approval. I guess mm -hmm. that would be the, you know, if you had to, like, put on a paper, that'd be the one, mm -hmm. um, which I 
I acknowledge, you know, it's certainly true. And um, I have whatever that desire is and that dream and that burning, I can't sit still. I mean, I'm by every means an addict. And so I have to just change my addictive behaviors to, to things that I enjoy. So whether it's laundry and working 12 hours a day, or it's, you know, shopping uh, government auction sites for whatever interests me, that's how I fill my day. So getting back to my story, uh, that died when I was a kid. Um, my mother is Catholic. My mother was Catholic. My father Jewish. Um, I grew up in a Jewish um, household because um, my father's grandparents, my father's parents, uh, were we were close with them. So we spent a lot of time. My mother was adopted with a very tough backstory and a very tough childhood. Uh, she was the salesperson. My father was the quiet. Well, what she meant was kind of person. I certainly got my mother's um, drive. I think hopefully I got my father's demeanor in terms of respect and understanding. Um, by the time I was 12 or 13, I was, you know, I was telling my parents I'm sleeping at a friend's house and a friend was sleeping at my house. And I was taking the, the Q44 bus to the F train uh, to get up to 34th Street because uh, I thought that's where I was supposed to go to go to Rockefeller Center. What I really should have done is get off at 50 something or other, 57th. But anyway, and I would go and get $30 a night, go you know, 13 years old, you know, two o'clock in the morning, I'd be on the train sometimes. I would. And I was scalping tickets and selling fire. Whatever the hustle I could find was, I was doing it. <laughs> You are the stereotypical New York hustler. Yeah, yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I would say so. And, and, and stereotypically, maybe not with as much um, long-term vision as, as a New York hustler might be. You know, um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I grew up, I, went up, I hung out with a, band, with a tough crowd. I did, you know, mom wasn't around very much, dad's not there. And so um, I have friends that spent, you know, 25 years in jail for murder. Mm -hmm. They did, uh, Brian Watkins, it's a big case. And, um, just to fast forward, let's just say to college, I, was, I went to NYU. Um, so I wasn't an idiot. And uh, I was certainly, you know, I could, school came relatively easy. Not that I was a great student, but I could always you know, do okay. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to a great school and my childhood friends were still just, you know, just being knuckleheads like I was. No different. I was the same kid doing the same stupid things as a misguided youth that, you know, I can't say I regret because how do you blame a 13-year-old kid for what he did, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's watching him. How's that my fault? Right. So that was a tough one that maybe in my 50s, I've only, you know, or my 40s, I've come to terms with. Um, so I was in school and my friends, my knucklehead friends um, on the newspaper, I wake up one morning and there they are. They're all in jail for a murder. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. I always knew I was going to get out of the hood. I swear to you, at 13 years old, I was reading books about finance. No one told me to. It was just whatever. I had the bug. There was no I'm not special. It was just what I had. And so I knew I'd get out of the hood. So I was always the kid that'd be like a block or two away. You know, I was never the kid that was going to do the thing. I wasn't breaking in somebody's house. I wasn't robbing somebody, but I'd be on the other corner watching it and ignoring it. Or I'd be the kid up on the train station waiting for him to come. And um, my buddy was there. Okay. My buddy was just like me in the sense that neither of us were going to, you know, quite commit those types of crimes. And uh, we both had plans for our future. And a long story short, he was falsely accused and he spent 23 years out of 25 in jail. Johnny and copy. Legit. Mm. It's the day changed my life. Wow. It changed my life. I'm like, wait a minute, that could have been me. How did that change your life? Well, I guess I have to back up just a little bit. I was already, um, I'm going to have to tell a little bit of a different story at that moment. I was already at NYU. I was living on 10th and Broadway uh, at Brittany Hall at 55 East 10th Street. It's a magnificent place. As a matter of fact, you'll meet Max. He lives right around the corner. He was at uh, Excellence Elevate. Forgive me for the name change. It was amazing. Um, so um, I was already going to school. And I was working uptown at a restaurant. My father's friend, you know, was partners with Rusty Staub, the old baseball player from the Mets. Hmm. Okay. So I'm at school and I know what I want to be. I knew in eighth grade when the movie Wall Street came out that I was going to go from being a lawyer to working on Wall Street okay. for no real reason other than um, it just, you know, it interested me. 
Bud Fox. All right, Bud Fox. I want you to buy 20,000 shares of Blue Star at 15 and an eighth, three eighths tops. And don't screw it up, sport. Think you can handle that? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. You won't regret this. And I thought there's a lot of money in it. And I hate, I hate to admit this. No, I don't hate to admit it. It is embarrassing to admit, but this is the truth. Um, in eighth grade, I wrote a, a paper for, I did a presentation for my class, I don't remember which, on Ivan Bosky. And at the time, he was the guy that was parking all the money and he was just doing financials. It wasn't so much sh- uh, fraud as it was shenanigans. Okay. And um, I wrote in my paper, I'm like, look, this guy got away with Okay, $600 million. They fined him $300 million of what they found. So he spent two years in a minimum security at, for $150 million a year. I think I'd do that now. <laughs> you know, I, I did. That was my report. And my mother thought it was interesting. I did. I, mean, <laughs> wow. I, I don't mention this as this is who I am and this is my integrity, but this is the truth of, who I, of where I grew up. But, I mean, this is real. So, right. um, so that was my mindset. And I also found out that you had to go to post, uh, you know, you have to do postgraduate work. And I didn't want to go to be a lawyer. You know, too much reading back then. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, as a kid who wants to read. So Wall Street was it. I saw Michael Douglas in Wall Street. I figured I could do that. Okay. So now I'm at school. I'm studying finance. I'm at, uh, and I work at 73rd Street and 3rd Avenue, which is the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And um, people would come in all the time and offer me jobs. This will matter in just a second. So it's a cold winter's day and people would always come in. And I had a shtick. I was at work in the restaurant. People would ask, what kind of beer do you have? And I'd say, Bud, Bud Light, Most Oil, Most Light, Heineken, Bass, Bex, Mickle Drive, Nagel Jules, Force Tire, and Bud Dry. And I said, I'll bet you $5. I can really, I can do that backwards. He said, you're on. I put my money. He put his, I swear to you, I did this. I said, Bud, Bud Light. (laughs) I took his money and then put it back on the table. And I said, seriously, I can do it. No games. And I did. I can't anymore. And I did it. And that was part of my shtick to, you know, get people to like me more as I'm serving them. He offered me a job on Wall Street and I knew that's what I wanted. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. You know? And, um, he gave me a phone number and it was on a napkin because he didn't have a card with him. It was a Sunday. Okay. So he says, call me whenever you want. That was uh, Monday morning. I uh, call at uh, maybe it was 6.30 or 7 o'clock. I don't really remember. I called the number, no answer. I call maybe every five minutes or so from 7 to like 7.30 <laughs> or 7.40. I'm not exaggerating either. It was back when even in your dorm room, you had a phone. You had a, you know, a regular phone. Back um, then you had to actually dial the numbers. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, um, he tells me, um, so finally he picks up the phone and he says, who the F is this calling me this many goddamn times? I go, hi, Mr. Carr, this is Todd. We spoke uh, yesterday. You came to the restaurant and you mentioned that, you know, to give you a call. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. I'm at 55 Water Street, 35th floor. Come when you want. Hangs up. Doesn't say goodbye, Todd. Doesn't give me time to, to confirm it. That was it. Okay. Now, this is long before Google Maps and anything else. I'm living on 10th and Broadway. I take the N train downtown to Whitehall Street. Uh, or might have been the four and the five transfer of Whitehall Street. I get off at Whitehall Street. I don't know where I'm going. Who has a map? You know, it's your, you don't know. <laughs> so this cha- this was another moment in my life. So I, I hail a cab and I said 55 Water Street. And I was in a bit of a hurry and a bit you know, nervous. And I, I didn't say it very nicely. I was a bit of a jerk off. I don't remember exactly, but I know my tongue wasn't pleasant. The guy looked at me, paused for a second. He says, okay. Takes the thing, moves the lever. And he takes me one block. Turned to left. And it was right there. <laughs> And what I learned at that moment to the rest of my mm. life, I tell the story, was there's never a reason to be a jerk. It's just never. You know, had I just been a half a gentleman, not even a regular gentleman, just a half a gentleman, that guy would have told me. And that was, I, it sits with me like, like it was yesterday and that was 30 mm. something years ago. Like I could feel it. Powerful, uh, powerful message there. It really is. Yeah. Like, you know, 
I, I find often that all of the messages are the same, right? Eat less, exercise more, be a good person, whatever. It's the stories that, that I can relate to, that I capture the best, that are whatever, that resonate the most with me. Those are the ones, it's all the same story, right? It's all the same values. It's just which story at that moment are you going to believe? So now, back to Manhattan. So I get on the, the cab driver drops me off the block. I get up to the 35th floor at 55 Water Street, and I said to the ma'am, oh, wait a minute. Now, I'm a kid from Queens, and I swear to you, you know, what do I know from anything? Um, I'm wearing, when I tell you, it was a teeny collared white shirt with huge pockets. And I mean, they took up like the whole thing. <laughs> Wait a minute. I have on my Gabardine work pants that have oil stains all across the bottom where the cuffs are. I'm wearing, I swear to you, it's only shoes I had, Doc Martens with the yellow stitch. I mean, you know, that's what I could come up with. Now, I did have on a very nice London Fog uh, black trench coat, which made it easier to uh, conceal what I was really wearing, and a uh, nice striped tie. Okay. It's 9.30, whatever time it was. I don't really remember. Say 9.15. And uh, I said, hi, ma'am. I'm here to see Howard Kra. Uh, my name is Todd Fenner. Um, okay. uh, she calls somebody up, says, okay, uh, he'll be with you uh, when he has a chance. Okay. Now, every minute, a single minute while you're waiting for an interview and you're 19, 18 years old is a lifetime. I mean, it was a lifetime. You know, there's no phone to look at. There's no, you know, there's the one magazine that you've already read in 10 seconds. And, oh, <laughs> 915, 930, 945, it's like 10 o'clock. And that could have been a lifetime. And I said to the man, because I don't piss anybody off, I said to him, I said, ma'am, would you mind to me uh, ring him again? Maybe he didn't, you know, he might have gotten caught up with something he might have forgotten. She doesn't even look up at me. She says, sir, he knows you're here. He'll come out when he's ready. So what do you do? Right? What, you know, that's you it. Wait. You wait. <laughs> right, that's it. You wait. 1015, 1030, 11, 11.15, 11.30. Finally, somebody else comes out. It wasn't Howard. Uh, he says, oh, by the way, have you had lunch yet? He says, hi, um, I forget his name. Um, have you had lunch? I'm like, no. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I'm thinking, you know, finally make me wait. He's like, okay, great. Come back after lunch. Um, let me know when you're back. Though. I'll be ready for you. I'm like, what? So I went downstairs, got two hot dogs and uh, diet soda. It was $2. And I remember thinking, thinking to myself, you know, I have a meal plan at school. I didn't need to spend those $2. <laughs> I didn't. But I did. Came back, whatever it was, later, 15, 20 minutes later. Uh, again, I asked for Howard. Now, this time, the person that I had met that, that said, come back after lunch, greeted me. I walked back to behind, you know, past the doors and to his office. He says, before you sit down, he shakes my hand. He said, congratulations. Because that's how we, um, that's our interview process for Howard. Do you have the tenacity to do it? So uh, what I did for Howard for a while was um, I was a cold caller. Uh, you know, the, you know, the Wall Street movies like that. Mm -hmm. It's not that far off, although it isn't quite that, you know, um, that crazy. But the idea is that you just call people you didn't know. And I happen to you know, be tenacious. I happen to be fairly quick on my feet. And I swear to you, look, I knew that that 100,000 and a million were a lot more than 10,000. I knew that at 19. I'm not stupid. But mm -hmm. I also didn't have any place that I could emotionally anchor the difference between the two. Neither were any of, you know, what's the difference? I'm not going to mm -hmm. have either anytime soon. So, what's, you know, yeah, I know a yacht costs more, but by how much? What's it's a number? Mm -hmm. I mean, I meant that. So it, it, it really did give me um, a leg up that I didn't understand at the time, which was I wasn't afraid to ask for any number because there was no difference. There was just no difference at all. So I had some success. And, um, that was my start on Wall Street. Now, I had a good job. I was going to school. Things were great. But all I had to go, am I going to have a career or not? So I had to leave school. I chose to leave school. I shouldn't have had to. Um, and I did it. And I studied for my test, the Series 7 and 63, uh, on the train ride to and from work. Let me ask you a question, Todd. So you went through the, I'm just going to call it, the, for us in Ohio, the Wall Street hustle, right? Oh, yeah, you, yeah. You grew up in that hustle. 
you experienced that hustle. And you explained to me when we were in Elevate, we talked about this for a while, you explained to me that you made a lot of money and that you learned a lot of lessons and that it kind of changed you. Oh, yeah. Can you just real briefly touch on that? Oof. What are some of the lessons you learned? Oh. Well, first of all, I was full of shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> One, now, what's funny is no matter how many times I tell my friends, everybody wants the ego of having a broker. Everybody wants the whatever. Warren Buffett tells you, uh, Munger tells you, buy low-cost mutual funds, right? The Vanguard type, you know, and just balance appropriately. And when times are bad, put more money and never take it out. And that's it. Okay. And there's no broker out there. Oh, I shouldn't say that. There are many great brokers who do no things. So that's not fair. I'm only going to speak on behalf of myself. But even Warren Buffett said that they're the most overpaid people in the country. And I have to agree with him because we don't really know. We can have our best ideas, but how can you have new ideas every day and understand them? I mean, how am I a salesman and the guy that researches them? You know, I understand the laundry business and I look at companies like EVI or Alliance, right? And no matter how much I study them, I can only know so much. Now, I may know some people there that, that have some, you know, they're not going to give me inside stuff, but I might have an idea of what they're doing. But even then it's information and you, you still can't really grasp an entire company. Right. Let alone 10 of them all over the world. So like I had to come to terms with that, but I didn't know it as a kid. The kid, they say, this is the one to sell. I could rah rock because I believed every second of it. And, <laughs> you know, my customers believe me because I believed it. You know, I've always I've always believed in whatever I sold. Was there a point in this journey where you kind of had a I call them an aha moment. We had an aha moment where you're like, this isn't for me. Ooh. Um, I can tell you the pain for sure. The pain for me was. um Every single day in my solar plexus, from the time I uh, I left work till I get to my desk, I would have an uncomfortable feeling right here. And then I wouldn't have it on Friday nights or all of Saturday, but Sunday afternoon, this thing came. And if you talk to most brokers, they'll tell you they have it. It's this, because you don't really know what tomorrow brings, right? It isn't like I'm going to sell you something and you know you're going to get six pencils in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. It may or may not work depending on things that you can't control, right? Mm -hmm. And so here you are, you know, you've got to like, you know, you got to give it your best and hold them steady, but you never win. And so it's like, oh, now, um, the aha moment. I was just living it for so long and I wasn't happy. I was examining what happiness was and it just, it wasn't this. It just wasn't this. And, um, you know, I wish I had that one second I could say, well, this was the time I realized it, but it was over years of me finally coming to terms with, uh, I left when I was 33. So I guess about 30 as I'm doing a reflection in my life, you know, it was like, am I happy? And I'm like, well, no, I'm always anxious. And I looked for businesses that I liked. In 2005, I looked at uh, laundromats uh, at the Orlando Clean Show, where, by the way, I met Paul Pettifer. Wait, hold on. Really? Oh, yeah. And I got to tell oh, you something. Oh, shout out to Paul. <laughs> yeah, it's Paul's website. All right. Paul's Fantastic. Website. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, I met him. I got to tell you something. I think this happens to me, too. I met him. I'm like, nobody's really that much of a good dude. Like, I just, I felt like yes. it was too much. First time I met him, though. So it's not like, you know, and can I tell you, it never once that he's more than that. And you almost think, can that really be? I'm yeah, I know. I know it is. He is that. Um, remember meeting him and some other people and thinking, you know, in financial services, there are only so many really, you know, wealthy people. So you're fighting often for the same customers. You are, right? In the same note, you know, everybody in your 10-mile area who's got money, there's only, you know, 50 of them that you want to hunt. And there's 30 people trying to get those 50 bodies. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it can be cutthroat at times, or at very least not, not um, affable. And in laundry, everybody's willing to help everybody out. As a matter of fact, I can argue, and I believe uh, rightly, that your best, a good competitor is actually better for you than a bad one. And you might say, well, what do you mean? 
Um, well, a good competitor is going to still have their own prices, whatever that might be, and they'll have their value proposition. That's great. What I see is somebody comes in, whether they overspent or whatever, they come in, they try and compete, then they realize that they can't, so they lower prices, and I'm still not moving mine, and they still they go out of business. Next person tries it, they do their thing. Like you could have, I'd rather have one steady competitor that's decent at what they do than three of them that come in and out because there's just too many sales. So yeah. um, to that effect, my business partner here, uh, one of my business partners here at Laundry's Warehouse is a guy that is was my closest competitor in a laundromat, right? Really? To talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So 2008, uh, I fear I'm jumping around a little bit, but uh, in 2008, um, you know, I got hit like everybody else and I ran out of money and I thought I had a pretty decent amount saved away, you know, without you know, killing my lifestyle mm-hmm. and I needed money to do more stores. And so I uh, identified who the best person out there was and I uh, knew where they were going to be at, at, quite frankly, at a CLA event. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to meet him there and introduce myself. He wasn't the only one on my hit list, but I knew he'd be there. And I did the very next day he came to my store after we'd never met before. And within like a week or two, we were in business. You know, we had an agreement by a handshake. To this day, we've done whatever deals on a handshake. There's not a single piece of paper that says it. it's a handshake. To this day, I do it on a handshake. So at that point, let me let me make sure I get this right. So at that point, you had a, sto- you had a laundromat and um, you became business partners with this person or were they a distributor? What? No, no, no. It's just a, an investor with a lot of stores, a person that has a lot of their own stores. And I felt they'd be easier to, um, to convince in a market where no one was lending money. I mean, Bank of America, you could have an 820 credit score for six months or so, seven months, wasn't lending anybody. Didn't matter how much you had at the bank, they weren't lending. So, you know, when the Fed closes the window, the banks close their window and all of a sudden you're done. Well, how about you go to a guy that's got a lot, you know, that maybe doesn't need the Fed to, you know. Oh, so he became your, so he became your bank. He became my partner, more than my bank. Your yeah, he, partner. Okay. There's, um, there's a friend who doesn't want their name mentioned, an acquaintance who doesn't want their name mentioned, but I think mm-hmm. the, he put it best when he said, uh, yeah, he's the briefcase. Preferably, <laughs> <laughs> okay. obviously. But yeah, he became my financier and partner. And since then, uh, we've done however many deals together, including the, the distributorship. Um, so it's been just you know, all on a handshake. To this day, I have deals with people that have been in business 40, 50 years, and we do most of it on a handshake. It's still out there. So how long were you just a store owner before you decided to enter into having your own distributorship? Uh, From January 2007 to June 2013. And my wife, ex-wife now, who's an amazing woman. I mean, we get along great. We still travel together with the kids. Like Amazing woman. Um, She just said to me, because I'm a control freak and everything has to be perfect. I swear to you. Um, I was at whatever time it was before this, running however many stores, four or five. And um, I would take acrylic paint okay so oil-based acrylic and once a week i would go to, to wherever like the full mica would ship and i would put my hand over just like i was a freak and <laughs> it was overwhelming and it was of no value i don't say this like you know wow wow it's not it was of diminish it was past diminishing returns it was almost no return i would even say it's a negative effect because it was hurting my quality of life um but you know when you're passionate and it doesn't matter what it is you just do whatever whatever it is you don't think so my uh wife at the time she uh she said to me um look uh, you're not going to do this anymore. This isn't working. So, okay, you know, fair enough. And she's very easy in understanding. So, you know, I took the message and I wanted to do something where I could um, excel. Uh, I had a lot of knowledge and I could sit in the same desk, which I do, um, but yet keep growing and challenging myself because I get bored kind of easy. Like laundries are fun and I love finding them and redoing them. But the minute it's down to the collection and the weekly stuff, it's like, I don't, I don't enjoy it. You know, some people do, it's just not what I enjoy. Yeah. So, um, so here so was the, there a uh, Todd? Was there a gap in the market? Like, did you well from a distributorship? Okay, you decided running laundromats wasn't for you. You clearly wanted to stay. So it in was industry. for me. It just wasn't what I wanted to do day to day. I mean, right. I still think okay. they're, they're much better than distribution. They're yeah. not even in the same realm. 
Right. Okay. But what what attracted you to distributorship? Did you just look in your market? Were you already in Fort Lauderdale, I assume? Yeah. yeah. Then? Okay. I was. So I was did you look at the market and say, you know, there's a hole in the market where I can fill a need or what was your, what, what attracted you to that? Um, well, the answer is uh, use machinery. So mm. what, what happened, I've done mine, you know, to this day, no question. I sell Dexter. I've made a point to put something there from Dexter. I, you know, I don't want to put brands or anything, mm-hmm. but at that time, all I'd ever done was rehab with used machinery. Right. Oh, what's, yeah, interesting. So I had bought, I would buy stores on the cuff. I would, not on the cuff so much as on the, um, you know, the speculation, you know, because mm-hmm. I'd pay lower than what somebody else might. I could put them in a warehouse, wait until my place was ready. I would fill it up there and it worked for me really well. But what had happened was anytime I did a deal, I'd have machines left over and I don't want to spend rented warehouse space. So I always told myself, I'd give myself 60 days. And after 60 days, whatever's left over, I'll figure out. And I could always, always, maybe the four or five times I did it, I was able to sell them within like a week or two. Like it was easy to sell the machines. Hmm. So I knew that there was a market for used machinery. And then I looked around, I'm pretty, you know, in my banking days, besides just being a salesman, I became an arbitrageur. I, I was selling interdealer uh, corporate and municipal bonds on a retail platform. Okay. So I could like see them, you know, the, I could see the, mar- the the difference in the markets. And so I looked at the U S on a map. I'm pretty good. Like I, when I look at things I do, I take a map out and kind of, you know, I like to see it physically. And um, I could notice that there was a great, and there is still to this day, one of my mentors, uh, Jim Schultz at, um, at Midwest Laundries. Matter of fact, he's my number one mentor. We go back for years and years and a uh, competitor. I lose deals to him. He loses them once in a while to me, but he's great. Um, so that he was doing a great job. There's Mike uh, Geckelman at, uh, uh, he does a great job too at Superior uh, Laundry Equipment in uh, in Brooklyn. And then there's somebody in, in, in uh, on, on the West Coast that, you know, is good, but maybe not as good as, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of room for improvement. Um, and that was it in terms of major players. It was another secondary, tertiary, and quaternary players, but none of them really of any significant market size. Um, and this is for used equipment. Used equipment only at this point. Now, to the, today, I would add that you guys, you have guys like um, uh, folks, not even guys, uh, like um, Triad, who's doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Not quite as, at scale yet, but they will be. And they're like, you know, these guys are pros all the way through. We've done business on a handshake more times than I can mm-hmm. tell you. Yeah, yeah they're good people. people. We actually had yeah. them on the podcast yeah. about... 10 episodes ago, really yes. good people. They, yeah. Every bit of it, every bit yeah. of it. I'm telling you as a person that, that does business with. Yeah. Um, so um, back to the things. So in, in the map, there was nobody in the South. There was no one in Texas, there was no one in Florida. I figured I, I have that space. So this was long before we thought that we'd do any internet. So that was the, what I believe to be the demand for market. Because even if I just did as is, um, I could more than, you know, I could have a good return, you know, really you know, healthy margins. And it was easy. I believe that I could do it. And that turned into an idea with uh, my partner, Josh. Um, I told him I needed a thing to do, and it was his idea for the distribution part of it. And then we found absolutely the one of the top three at the time, um, best parts people in the country that we could find. I visited so many people. And we talked to them, gave them a reason to do it, because we'd heard that parts is the most difficult part to keep somebody on, because you're dealing with thousands of, of details uh, daily. And yet, as a relative term of dollars for the effort, it's it's hard to do. Whereas you could sell a machine and make much more money and do a fraction of the effort. Mm, um, okay. And so we knew that we could start with a core basis, which was use machinery, parts, service. And we're already in Fort Lauderdale. We already have stores and we know the market. And that turned into it. Self-financed by our briefcase, right? And we've never borrowed a single penny from the distribution side because of the many distributors that are my mentors. You know, it's one of those places where you could have bad years mm-hmm. if you can I'll tell you what else we did that I'm particularly proud of. Um, we're overfinanced intentionally, so we don't ever want to have to worry about getting money for a deal quickly. And the other thing we did was we have a one we had a one page plan that we still use 
for when things go bad. And uh, in particular, when things got bad, um, you know, for COVID, within a week, maybe two at the most, mm. we were implementing that plan. And it really, I think, well, well, I know it did really well for us. You know what I mean? Like we were prepared for that long before it happened. Like right now, inflation's the one. We've already got our inflation plan in, in place and it's happening right now. So, you know, we've been pretty good about forethought and making sure that we had enough money available when we needed it because that could be an issue for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, those are the reasons we liked it. We opened up 2,000 square feet. Uh, our, our briefcase is a building, his, turned into four, turned into, turned into, turned into. And now, you know, we've got a pretty big operation. We do, you know, 75, 80 used machines certified a month, plus we sell some as is. Where you know we have a healthy parts business, uh, and um, you know we're, we're pretty active, man. You know we build stores, we do stores, we we do. You do new equipment as well. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in our we have a very limited trade area, so we do Broward and Palm Beach counties, which is very small. Um, I don't want to. I'm not sure where there is. I don't want to be like a self promoting, but I can tell you this mm -hmm. for facts, and I will gladly at your event talk to anybody for as long as they want and prove it to them. I looked at every used machine. And to me as an owner, the number one thing is I want to have the, I want the machine to run as much as possible. So what are the least repairs? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would ask the guys every couple of days, because I'm a freak, what, what machines do you like? What machines don't you like? Why did you choose it? And I can go through piece by piece of what makes the machines that I sell better in terms of the thickness of the stainless steel, the, the, the grade of uh, stainless steel, right? Because it's like 304 versus 208 and 304 has a higher grade of nickel. And I literally have these reports, like I'm the kind of a freak or like conformal coating, which is the spray, all of them do it, but conformal coating is the spray that you put on electronics so that they are less, uh, they're, they're more resistant to heat and, uh, and moisture, right? Like, I mean, I can go on and on and on. I have a durometer, which measures the, uh, the uh, density and uh, of, uh, of rubber. I mean, I've got like every tool you can imagine that, that can make a measurement. I had a test lab to do 100 and 200 G. Like this is how much of a freak. I have every number. And I think it's bad. You know, here's something I'd like to make. I'd like to call out. I'm gonna call BS on something. It's not a particular manufacturer, but industry-wide. Mm -hmm. The minute that you could change your machine with a digital control and you could program it, that is the last time there was a step up in efficiency. I challenge somebody to prove me wrong. Okay, so when when Speed Queen did it with the EC control back mm -hmm. in the '90s, right? Now there, there there are some exceptions in that if that control module didn't give you all the variables, that could be some of it. But once I could get down to two rinses or three, or th I'm sorry, two baths or three baths, whatever you want to call them, and I could tell the machine how much water to put in, there's no difference because that tub today, that EC2 tub right now, you went through the EC2s, the NC2s, you had the MD2s, you had the uh, or the MDs, you then had the um, BC control, which is also AC for the upgrade, and even now in the SCNs, right? You got the same footprint, you have the same tub, you have the same outer drum. So how are you going to tell me there's an efficiency in water? You can't. People say, oh, well, now it's the no, no. Now, there could be a counter argument made that Waskomat's um, drain valve uh, holds the water toward the tub at the very bottom of the sump a little bit, but you're talking fractions, not even of a mm -hmm. gallon, fractions of a whatever. Well, I'm curious your thoughts on this because I, I'm not, you know, I, I didn't understand half of what you just said. Um, and Carly, <laughs> and Carly me, didn't understand me. any of it. Okay. No, there are people out there that do. This isn't about us. This is about them. Uh, and I, I think it's fascinating, but I'm curious your thoughts on this. And one of the things I love about you is if you disagree with me, you'll disagree with me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Don't worry. And, and, and we're not here for a debate. We're here to bring people value. But my point yeah. is I've always – this is how I've run my businesses. This is how I've been successful. Doesn't mean it's the only way. I've always said like that – and what I'm getting at is what you just said is that it's insignificant. 
So why focus on it? Why obsess over it? That's the way I've always looked at these things because there are such bigger things that we could be focusing on in our stores and our operations and our scalability, not, not just infrastructure, yes. not just operations, but it's, I'm amazed how many people will obsess over the difference in 15% and 14% of natural gas usage or something like oh, that. Wait a minute and I'm like, let me defend it. First of all, yeah. I agree hundred percent, but let me defend the person that's not in the room. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I'm first getting into the business. I don't know the difference of what's right and what's wrong. And I'm a control freak. So I need mm -hmm. to gravitate to numbers right or wrong. I don't have somebody telling me what is or isn't mm -hmm. no matter how many books I read, by the way, hold on one second. <laughs> this guy's not even around, but, but this was my, my go-to book of all time uh, for, you know, by all, I still have it in, as a reference. How have I never heard of that book? Are you kidding me? The road no. to financial independence by Emerson Higdon. Oh my gosh. You're going to love I, it. Yeah. Oh. All right. I'm, I, I'm surprised. Um, All right, Todd says it's not promoted. I'll tell you why, Dave, because it's not promoted. It used to be in the back of the CLA magazine, and they don't promote it much anymore. But what a, what a book. And there are others that are equally good, but that's one of my favorites. Um, I remember looking at like, oh, just the most silliest of numbers, like the percentage of people that came into like revenue of whatever. And it was like, I didn't know what to do and what not to do. So while you're right, um, now let's talk about now, let's say I'm still the control freak and I figured out some of the basics, but now I'm looking at my expenses. First of all, doing it twice a year just makes sense, right? You just don't have to obsess. You just got to look at it, make sure it's within line, do what you can and move on. Um, now, if you only have one or two stores and you got a lot of time on your hands, sure, do what you want. That's the way to go. Uh, it's not about the dollars. It's about the, uh, the pride, the sense of like, I'm the best at what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I have my partner, Josh, if he's done anything, he has shown me that, that, uh, good enough is good enough. And that's so hard for me. Like, dude, I have to like pull myself away because it's my nature. You know, yeah. I always did the best I could at the expense of better opportunities. Mm -hmm. I'm guilty, right? So whatever it might've been. Yeah. Well, my point has always been on that topic is that there's way too many people. It's not an either or proposition, right? Like focusing on customer service, scalability, you know, satisfaction, reviews, your reputation, those things are all important, right? So it's not an either or proposition. What I always tell people is if you're sitting around obsessing over the ma the minor things, when you haven't taken care of the macro things, then you're focused on the wrong thing. And that's really, that's really been my point. And so what I did the first, you know, I started with stores in the worst condition you can possibly imagine. Um, and only until four or five years ago, were they anything other than average, to be honest. Um, and so I always focused on what moves the needle the most. What's the big thing? I was never focused on these little things. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a me or you competition. It was a what makes us successful. And so my advice to people has always been focus on the macro. Get the big picture stuff down first. What does then, that mean? Hold on. I'm a new person. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, please for, for the listeners and me, yep. like what, what, what how, do you, say, how do I know? Mm -hmm. I'd say we focus on, I mean, obviously there's the, the bar, right? We focus on clean, safe environment, but then we take it a step further with, we really focus on customer service, um, training our attendants to really be there for our customers and providing consistent, friendly customer service because i feel like that's where a lot of the laundromats lack mm -hmm. um is providing that customer service making someone not just feel safe but feeling welcomed feeling helped you know no. we can we can view here's the thing we can view our business as a commodity or we can view our business as a service business 
That's 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 what it boils down to. And and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. The beauty yeah. of being in business for yourself is you get to choose what your business looks like and I get to choose what my looks like and guess what? We're both right. But when it comes to challenging each other and growing the industry and elevating the industry, we can say, okay, are we going to are we going to stay in the path and the mentality of I'm a commodity, meaning I'm for white walls and I'm though either the washer works or it doesn't. Or we can approach it and say controls matter experience matters um, layout matters the you, you know i tell people all the time i'm like you know for some reason operationally we say in this industry that there's two ways to run a laundromat unattended and attended and and we assume that all unattended laundromats operate the same way well we know that's ridiculous right we know people that operate unattended laundromats in just the un, an amazing way and we know a lot of people that I could not get out of bed and do a better job, right? Well, we have unattended situations that way as well. We have people that are hiring anyone. I call them a body. You know, they have a body in the store. They have a pulse. They pay a minimum wage. They provide them with no training. Day one, they hand them a rag and a spray bottle and they say, keep it as clean as you can. And if the person plays on their phone for six hours, they don't know the difference. Like it's the uh, – what is it? It's leadership through abdication, right? <laughs> all, all they're trying to do is push the response. In their mind, they're trying to justify the fact that they did X. They're trying to check a box. And what I tell people is, I'm not interested in the past. I'm interested in the future. And for some reason, not our industry, but our world has lost sight of something that used to be foundational in business, which is servitude. It's serving others. And I know you well enough and I know your heart and I know your passion to know that you're one of the top equipment distributors in the country because you care. I, I don't know about that. I really and don't. that's – well, I, I mean it's a relative Maybe, thing. It's a relative liked, thing. Most well-liked right? and most sought after <laughs> in terms of advice. That could be, yeah. but definitely not volume. Well, and the fact of the matter is that's much more important in my opinion. Uh, you know, I mean, me, we can we can also chase gross versus net operating income. That's a whole who's other more, story. Who's, but, I know. Who's more successful? Let me make a couple of points. First yeah. of all, of course, I mean, what you're saying is I, I, I'm on board. Mm -hmm. I want to make the opposite argument. Well, first of all, let me tell you how much of a schmuck I am and where I think my, <laughs> where, I'm serious, uh, where my partner, Josh, has really, you know, shown me the light, not because I saw it and it was a moment. He just pulled my teeth until I, you know, I stopped screaming because it was great. You know, I feel like the kid that like doesn't want to touch the water, the parents take him and they're screaming, they touch the water like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, this is nice. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I mean, this. when I, my first store, um, there's a lot of car dealerships in my area. So I spent the better part of a month and a half, um, you know, maybe about a week doing a, a campaign. I was thinking about one out, drawing it out myself, doing it all, printing it. And then about a month of visiting all the car dealerships and offering them, you know, some discounts for wash dry fold. And I did a great job. I got about 20% increase in my wash dry fold. I mean, I was really proud of it. And it was, you know, it was feather in my cap. I did a good job. Mm -hmm. And Josh is like, dude, you're talking about a couple hundred dollars. Right. Because I just bought a second store. I'm making, you know, whatever that number is. And he was right. I couldn't see it at the time. I mean, I could see that I was wasting my, I wasn't maximizing my personal time. You, know, you always talk about it in terms of are you investing in your business or you working, you know, like, what are you doing here? Are you, in, are you running a business or are you in the business? So, like, I, you know, I respect it. And I thought to myself, well, that's just wrong. Now, um, not that I necessarily agree, but I'd like to make the counter argument on um, stores. So, if I'm going to make, you know, $100 for the year on the store, and because I, I'm apathetic about it, instead of making 100, I make 87, okay? But I choose to have 10 more stores and each of them are run with, instead of giving them 10 hours a week, I give them two. What's a better deal, right? What's the better thing in terms of total dollars, right? My partner, Josh, will tell you, dude, you know, we want all unattended stores, clean, spotless, 
as you could possibly get always bright, all the machines running. But after that, that's it. That's our game. To the point where we don't even have, uh, in many of the stores, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, we don't even have our phone number up. Mm-hmm. Unattended store, you got to call the cops. Cops have our number. You know, we don't get a lot of calls. Now, is, is that the best? Of course not. Is that, you know, best in class? It's not. Is that the best quality of life? I think an argument could be made. Now, to this day, I still don't, I don't run them like that. Josh does all the day-to-day in the stores. I don't know that my heart, as much as I believe him, and I know I've seen the numbers and I know he's right, I don't know that I could, I could let my heart do that in terms of it because I still wear it on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons I focus on distribution. You know, like I just, there's a sense of pride to all of it, you know, mm-hmm. more than just the dollars. And to me, that's important. Yeah. yeah. We don't chase the profit. Instead, we want to, as Dave always says, elevate the industry. We're really focused on, we feel like if we deliver a quality service to the community, the money's going to eventually come. And so far, I mean, that's worked for us. I mean, so are we always the most profitable store out there? No, we're that's not. So cool. But over time, we're getting to that point. And part of that's too with vertical integration and we're adding more services and stuff like that. But um, it's more important to us that we serve the community. So, well, and here's another way of here's another way of looking at it. Your description in that environment, there's not a drastic difference in those two things, right? How do you mean? What, well, in your in your description of your value proposition for the community and relative oh. to your price, there's not a drastic difference, right? I'm not 100 percent sure I'm following. Like in other words. Um, we, we, we're the low price leader, the cleanest, nicest, most beautiful, lights look great. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to find many things broken, if at all, um, mm-hmm. that we we're offering. We're just not giving you the service aspect or the personal aspect. Right. We're giving you the environment. Right. And that's uh, what we're not the low price leader. Right. But what yeah, if neither I, are we, even on but, the other tennis stores. But, but all I'm asking, all I'm asking is, and this, and, and this is a fantastic discussion, by the way, because I'm not saying you're wrong, but what yeah. I'm saying is mm-hmm. what if, the, what if the difference, and I would love to talk to your partner about this, uh, but what, what if the difference is a hundred percent? So you said the difference in 87%. Sure, right? sure. I'm making up a number. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 87 and a dollar. What if the difference is $2.87? I mean, it'd be worth it to absolutely. It's, because it's, because uh, here's what it boils down to. I started at the bottom of the industry. You know, that's what I bought. I, I, I evolved in our operations through what I call the commoditized laundromat, which is what you're describing. And I don't say that in a negative way at all. That's not what I'm saying. It's a different business model. That doesn't make it wrong or right. It's just different. But what people in the industry don't understand is I eventually got to know and networked with some of the top operators in the industry. And that's a relative term. It's not like we get gold medals for it, right? I mean, I'm just making this stuff up. But people that are operating at the elite of the elite of the elite, and when people People say they see their facilities and they see their team and they see their payroll and their staffing and what they cost to build a store. But uh, so, so my point in that is it, it in relative terms, we as an industry have at least some have sold a bill of goods to people. That bill of goods to people is if you take your business model and your value prop to a different level, your, your, what you can charge is not commensurate with that. And so there's there's a big misconception out there in the industry that the people operating at the top of the industry, and this means the way I calculate that is operations, okay, five-star operations, not facilities, operations, staffing, infrastructure, things like that. And yes, your store is a part of that situation. When you when you take those two things together, they're not competing with you. 
you're, you're in a different industry. You're in a different business. Yes. And the value prop that they bring to the community is different. And what you charge is different. And what I have learned through evolving through this and talking to hundreds, if not thousands of laundromat owners on both sides of this equation, what I've learned is the people that operate at the top of the industry that all these people think are not making any money are making more money than the commoditized laundromats. And so what ends up what ends up happening cuz you talked about lifestyle and that's important to us, right? What ends up happening is the smart some of the some of the not so smart ones they work themselves with the bone to make a little bit more money. And you're saying that's not a smart thing to do and I would agree with that. But what I tell people is some of the best operators in this industry that operate what I call five-star laundry centers, what they do is they build a team. See, because we yeah. have a we we now and we haven't always been here. We have a team of forty employees that run our operations. We're a multi-million dollar operation, and we don't ever work in our businesses. How do we do that? We charge significantly more. Our ROI is significantly more. Our margins are a lot higher, and we take a percentage of that and reinvest it back in something that this industry for years has told people they can't do. And what that is is build layers of management within their operation. This industry has told people for as long as I've been around, you can't do that. The laundromat industry doesn't make enough margin to justify layers of management. And my retort to that is I've lived at the bottom, in the middle, and at the top, and I've studied all of them for over a decade. And when you're running a commoditized laundromat that's four white walls and the washers and dryers either work or don't, you're correct. You cannot afford layers of management. So it affects your lifestyle. But what I tell people is what I learned as I evolved to the top of the industry is we provide a different level of service and quite frankly, an almost different industry. We charge prices that are commensurate with that and we reinvest a portion of those profits back into layers of management, which gives me and my wife and my family the lifestyle that we want. So it's yeah. not it's not whether one operator is right, wrong, or indifferent, which sometimes that's what Both people work. think. That's not what it's about. What it's about is I want to show the industry that there's more than one way to do this. There's more than one way to run a laundromat, and it's your business. Like you I choose what works for you. From my experience, that very few people take it as a as a as a, as a senior executive in a C-suite rather than a hands-on day-to-day. I think mm-hmm. you make up less than a couple of percent, and that's being generous. I mean, you know, it's, you, you see it differently than most of us. I mean, included. I mean, in terms of store operations, not yeah. distribution. And, yeah, and, all, and, yeah. and all I want to do is show people, because here's the thing. I didn't invent this. This isn't my idea. People taught me yeah, this. Of course. That's the thing. People taught me this. People that were already doing it. The difference is the people that were already doing it, they were really quiet about it. <laughs> and I want to tell everybody. Now, if, if that's not the business model for you, Todd, that's okay. It doesn't matter to me what your business is. I just want well, you to know about your opportunities. You and that's really what it boils down to. Which is, um, even, even people that have been on your show that are multi-generation laundry owners, and certainly my partner, John, mm-hmm. um, holding information up until maybe 10 years ago was, you know, was what you had to do, was what was expected of any business person always, right? It was that, I know you don't type thing. Now, mm-hmm. with the advent of the internet, things have changed, obviously. And now it's about you know, giving them a piece of it and then letting them follow through with all the, you know, the, the bigger details. It is hard for anybody over 50 years old to under, to see that perspective. Not to understand it, because mm-hmm. there are some. But I, I see that, like you're saying here. It is a different world and we're not doing it. I have an acquaintance working with a large... Um, they're implementing a sale. I don't know what you call it. Like a sales force. It's a different product for a very large chain, a regional chain of hundreds of stores. 
And they couldn't believe that even though this company is 60 years old, they were still doing up until right now before the transition, their payroll proverbially by hand. I mean, it was called in, somebody had to write it down, it wasn't done with the system. And this is a 20 something year old saying, how could that be? What? Well, no, because the business wasn't run from the back end. It was run because they make the world's best burgers, right? Mm-hmm. And there were so many things that can be automated that I'm watching you do that are so simple that none of us want to. Zoom's a perfect example. We were forced onto Zoom, even though it was there years before, but we don't yep. use it. You know, I intentionally brought this book, Thinking of You, because people ask me what I'm reading and I never remember. I'm always like frozen. <laughs> I've read this in a couple of years, but the four hour work week, I imagine you've, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. And I think of you a lot because even though I'm not doing it, although we do a little bit with India, there were so many things that if you just took a, a shot at it, right? Um, I think to myself, there are so many tools that will make so much of what we do daily and we have to do so easy, but nobody, there's no 14 year old showing it to us. And you are, I mean, for real, I mean, man, for, I mean, I, you know, I love saying this and I don't care who's going to hear it. And I'm sure I'm going to get backlash for all this, but you know, I am active in the industry and I am, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a director of the coin Lounge association and I love it as you well know. And we have these talks all the time. If we were to spend more time spending, sending up the content, then we worry about whatever else it might be, the better off we would be. And because you have done it, we are envious at times. Okay. And I'm not speaking for the whole board. I'm speaking for myself. I should say I am envious. I'm not speaking for the board in any way whatsoever today, Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm envious, right? It's easy enough to do. And no one's saying that you're not saying, look, I'm the world's best of anything. I'm up here doing it. You can do it too. Nobody's stopping you. And yet, because you've had the courage, the foresight and the, and the, you know, the the guts uh, to, to actually take that one step into this digital world. Look at all of this. Do you know what it would take for you to reach this kind of an audience one by one? Like I've tried to do, Mm -hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? It's not even close. It's night and day. It's the difference between going to a message board or showing up on your Facebook page or your LinkedIn page, because that's what you're first fed in the morning. It's mm-hmm. that simple. All right. So as you talk to me about all these things, um, which I'm on board for, and quite frankly, I think I got a lot to learn from you. Um, and, uh, a lot. Um, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not highly effective. And it's hard to understand that. You know, I have a mailing, I have, you know, I have a pretty big email list, right? And I send out things all the time. I was sitting on it for a couple of years and it's more than, it's way more than 10,000. Okay. And I was sitting there. Then one day I finally decided to do it. Now I send out ads and I get the response has been overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I couldn't as one person make as much in sales from those emails as I would from a you know, person to person, the best salesman around. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so much of this going on, Dave, and none of us are doing it. I'm certainly way behind. And I think I'm at the head of the group in terms of, you know, people doing stuff like, you know, I'm pretty active on some of the, you know, the newer social media and discords and the NFTs and all that. I keep mm-hmm. an eye on it for the fun of it. Um, but well, let me give you an example and I'm not afraid to be transparent. Um, we have a store that uh, I won't start when we bought it because it was just a dump when we bought it. So that's not fair. They all were dumps. They when were. We they them. were. So we have a store. I mean, they're good. Yeah. We have a we have a store um, that uh, it doesn't matter which one, but we have a store that once we got it to what I would call a commoditized laundromat, and I don't mean that negatively, by the way. You mean it, yeah, yeah. it is what it is, right? Yes. Once we got it to that point, it had nice equipment that worked. It was a nice facility. It was nothing special but it was clean it was actually attended uh we had a good staff in place the store was generating a gross revenue of let's call it two hundred thousand dollars a year okay we took that store to a 1.2 million dollar a year store didn't buy any more equipment didn't both we almost doubled our self-serve revenue amazing and and so what people need to understand is they look at that and they say, well, I'd rather make 200 and work two hours a week than make 220 and work four hours a week. And I say, you're, you're, you're like, you're missing the boat. You're missing the point here. It, I don't care what you do. It doesn't matter to me. I just want you to hear what 
Yeah. What, what the message I want people to hear the opportunity out there. Doesn't matter me what you do. There's not a right and a wrong way to do this. There's just your way of doing things. But for some reason, the 10, 12 years we've been in the industry, there's been a good portion of the industry that is telling people that people like me aren't making any money. And I'm well, like, I don't that's, I, the I most, could, that's the yeah, most ridiculous I, thing I've ever heard in my I, life. I've never Because the that. funny thing about that is I just talked about gross revenue, but those are both around a 30% margin. I believe you. I, I dude. I, and so, I and so when you, and so when you take that, and I'm not talking about putting it all in your pocket, we reinvested a good portion of that back in layers of management, which is why we can do what we do. It's why I can spend years writing a book, creating a podcast, creating e-courses, which we're coming out with soon, launching conferences, things like that. People can't figure out how I do it, and it's like because no, I'm wait, wait, hold on, hold on. You're, you're, you're full of piss and vinegar. I hope that I am too. You know, take, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, respect. Um, and I am too. But think about the majority of our of our uh, contemporaries, right? There's only there's only a certain percentage of people like you know that are motivated. Most are just happy. Look, half the competition, based on every report ever, half of the people in the industry do it as a part time gig, right? So I've already blown out half the doors, right? Yeah. And the other ones that are doing it, most of them are doing it kind of like there are only so only so few. And because of it, because we're not all fighting for the last penny, when you get ideas like these, people don't want to hear it because they don't. You know, what I'm saying everything is the way it's always been, and, so, and, that, and it's hard for them to hear what you're saying. Yeah, And it no. was a process. It was hard work. I mean, a big part of why that jumped so much is that we added pickup and delivery and we did a lot of advertising and created commercials and worked with a, a professional advertising agency. And I mean, there's a lot of things we did that got those numbers up where they are. But now... I mean, there was a lot of work that went into it and there was a lot of headaches, but now we can sit back, we can leave for a couple of weeks and know our stores are fine. All right. But I'm making fun of my friend, Ken. Um, Ken <laughs> so Ken, I, I love Ken, by the way. Have you, have, he had his own thing. I'm sure you'll talk to him at some point. He, he's just, yeah, I, I will Ken. say this. He is, in my opinion, the smartest person I've ever met in our industry. And I'm not saying he's the best at laundry or the best of anything else, but anything that you give him, he will have an answer for you relatively quickly and he can do just about anything. So mm -hmm. I, I, you've only get to say that once. I'm saying that about Ken Barrett and he is mm -hmm. a friend of mine. He yeah. is a fellow overthinker and co-conspirator in, uh, you know, workaholic. <laughs> and so is Dan Marazza for that matter. And I can go on and on and on, but mm -hmm. um, Ken, um, like me, we wanted to grab every penny that we could, right? And doing it ourselves means that we're saving money, at least in our heads it is, rather than the realities of having a team to do it. Mm -hmm. And he and I are guilty. So um, he was mentioning, you know, as a friend, just like, you know, he's got the small wash dry full, but it's taking up so much time. I'm like, dude, why don't you get rid of it? And, you know, logic, of course, he understood the logic, but, but in his soul, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't own it. And I understand that. Finally, he did. And he would call up and say, freak you, Fenner, freak you, I hate you. And, you know, all the wonderful <laughs> kind things you could say to your friend mm -hmm. who did it. Now, um, something else has come up right now so that for the last several weeks, it might even be more than a month, he's not been able to be at his store. He had to go do something. He has mm -hmm. to do something. And funny enough, his store is still there. Mm -hmm. The people that he trusts are doing a good job. And he hasn't been to the store in weeks. And it's not because he'd ever have the fortitude to do it, as I might not have, um, but because he had to. And now he couldn't begin. You know, you could spend that time doing anything you want. Mm -hmm. It's re it's releasing control of your baby. Yeah, I mean, but it's I think hard. There's a lot of owners that want hands and everything. Yes, make sure I'm, that it's okay. I'm the guy. It, it, took, for, it <laughs> took forever to pull me away from that. It, it, it did. It took. It took a lot. Of, it was emotion. It wasn't. Of course, you're right. Logically, but you know, we're not logical people. Mm -hmm. We're emotional people, despite what we may you know kid ourselves. And so, um, you know, it's not so easy just because I know it. There's also the part of having the you know the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, luckily, I was pulled there as opposed to you know. 
And there's the time that it takes to train somebody else to do it. Like there's so often it's like, it's just easier to do it myself, but that's not a good long-term plan. I always compare it to raising kids, which not everybody has done, but we have. I always compare it to raising kids. I'm like, you know what? It's a lot easier for me to wrap that present for the six-year-old than to teach them how to wrap a present. But guess what? When they're 16, they're going to know how to wrap the presents and I won't need to do anything. Now, maybe that's a terrible example. You could use that for making lunch or no, no, whatever, whatever. And once again, if you, if your goal isn't for that child, well, I'm talking about my business now, if your goal isn't for that to grow, that's okay. It's your business. It's your baby. You get to decide what it looks like. What I don't want to happen and what I'm determined to do something about is for all these, all these perceptions that are wrong, that people believe are right. I want to bring to the forefront and I want to have a conversations about, and I'm willing to do it in the open. And my attitude is really simple. I know I'm right. How do I, how do I know I'm right? Cause I don't like absolutes because I've done it and I'm not the only one. The reason yeah. I was able to do it is because other, sh other people before me that wanted to be quiet about it, they did it too. And by networking and attending conferences and building relationships and having phone calls like you and Ken, they taught me. Now, they didn't teach me all at once. I didn't hire anybody and fly out and see them. It was little nuggets of information and I took from everybody in the industry and I brought these things together and I created a business model that works and is scalable and repeatable. And all I want the industry to know is that you can do it. If you don't want to, if you don't have the desire to, she talked about the hard road. It, trust me, it was yeah, a couple right, years. Right. It was a couple years of investing six figures and not seeing a return. And we weren't guaranteed we were we would see a return. So not everybody has the stomach for that. Not everybody has the six figures for that. That's okay too. I'm not here to tell you that I'm right in the sense of you should do that. I'm here to tell you that I'm right that you can do that if you choose to. Right. You know it works because you did it. Sure. Right. Absolutely. You know Absolutely. I, I wanted to mention the um. I don't have it at the moment on my on my wall, but I've had it many for, for years. It was a picture of uh, cavemen, and there is there's a guy, uh, two guys over a square look like a square wheel, and then there's a guy who has a wheelbarrow that's pushing the wheel, and he goes, "We're too busy for, to to discuss the wheel. We're too busy." To, you know, that's the guy's the idea is that you know they're too busy to understand what the wheel is, yeah. and I'm I'm guilty of that. You know, I think it's more emotional than 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 logic and reason, um, and I hope that I'm open to it when I can be, but you know, yeah. It well, I, I, I appreciate the conversation because while we were obviously here to talk about your story, this kind of stuff brings people a ton of value. You know, we can call them debates, arguments, whatever we want. Yeah, whatever. Doesn't these, matter. Types yeah. of, these types of discussions are really yeah. valuable for the industry to hear. <laughs> and once again, if you want to run a commoditized laundromat, I'm not putting that down. If you're yeah, running, yeah. if you're running a dump and you're predatory on your community, no, no, then no, no. you then we got a problem. That's different. No, no, right. But if you're I just have... running a different business model, there's nothing wrong with that, guys. You know, look, it's all about networking, man. That's it, because you're gonna always learn. No matter who it is, you'll always learn. And the one thing I've noticed is there's two types of networkers, and I find this in most industries. And I got it from Bobby Flight. The one who says to Bobby Flight, listen, can you teach me how to be a great barbecue chef? Well, what does that mean? You know, it's like, you know, it, it, practice, right? That's the answer. And it is, it's practice. Then there's the other one who says, you know, yesterday I burnt my ribs. I was doing them at 425 in an altitude of 3000. That's a guy you want to talk to. In other words, there's the new investor who needs to learn. You got to come to the courses and do it all. But the one you want to spend three hours is the fellow person. It doesn't matter that you knew it makes no difference. You could easily and you get such great joy of sharing with them the, the headache you made. I didn't even know what it, what a um, uh, a lint trap was until mine overflowed. 
I didn't know. <laughs> How do you know? You don't, I didn't know. Yeah. Right. I swear. That's the only way I found out. And so like, um, I can give you millions of examples of networking, but for today's one, I wanted to put something out besides all the money that people got, you know, a year, year ago, they have a targeted economic injury disaster loan. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with it? Yep. Okay. It's 10 grand, right? Look at this 30% less of rate weeks. It's still available. I mean, like if that's all you got, that's 10 grand. Plus if it was 50% decrease and you're in the map, it's uh, another five grand. Like mm -hmm. that's networking. How do I know? Or how about enterprise zones where after 10 years in a day, it's tax-free. Like those things don't come up at everyday lessons. They don't come mm -hmm. up on the websites all the time. It happens when you're talking to friends and they give you ideas about it or, you know, water savings or whether 200, like I'm a huge fan of 200G and I'll fight anybody that tells me otherwise. Um, 200G is the way to go. You don't save anything on water, but you certainly save on dry time and, and how much gas you use. And that's a fact. It doesn't matter the brand. Yeah. Um, I do disagree with the industry in terms of how long a dryer lasts. I see that a lot. I think a decent dryer lasts you 20, 25 years easy, and they put it down for 15. Mm -hmm. I think dryers aren't the problem. It's washers because dryers don't have that much that can break. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we've done much about business so much as kind of fun talking. I'm loving it. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to run out of time here. Before we do, can you tell people about laundry owner's warehouse and i'm not oh. saying a, I, listen i'm not saying a commercial okay i know that's oh, you're not yeah. going to like you're not going to like the yeah, self right, i'll tell you that no what i want you to do is tell us about your team the organization what you oh want to do and how yeah, it can how it can value our audience because i know okay. that you do a lot on your website which means we could not be in broward county and you still have value to bring to this industry oh dude that's um all right so laundry owner's warehouse where dude what makes us a team? Um, we have a shared goal and a shared vision. And it's more than that. Look, everybody likes to say you're part of the family. This is, we're not a family. We're a team. We're a business team. But that is real. And that matters. I have relationships right now with Kenny Hummel and, uh, and Brenda Toledo, who don't work here anymore. They went on to different things that were better for them. I am friends with both of them. I spend time with them. That's not everybody. Um, we have a lot of people who have been here since day one. We have certain things. Everything is transparent. If I'm doing it, you're going to know. Okay, it's accountable. Here's your job, here's his. I'm not gonna yell at you, scream at you or anything else. We're just gonna discuss it and figure out how to make it happen. The person doing the job makes the decision. In other words, I'm not gonna tell you what kind of broom to mop. I'm not gonna tell you what type of tools to use. They'll tell me those things. We try and hire people that are much smarter than us and let them guide us whenever possible. We hire lots of third-party consultants more than most people do. In other words, I'll pay a guy five grand for the day to listen to him. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do what he says without question. And I'm not trying to promote you, but like, you know, some of the times, whether it was the internet or something else that we were working on, we just took the best person that we could find. We believed it. Um, and then we paid them and we did it without reservation, even though we had some of our own thoughts. Mm -hmm. We're like, look, that's our baggage from before. How about we hired the pro? We listened to him. And that is experts. Such a, <laughs> yeah, but it's not so easy always because you want to second guess him. And, you know, somehow, you know, better. Right. You know, it, it, it kind of I mean, I'm still guilty of that. Another thing we look for is um, simplicity and process. Um, so that, you know, we always try and remove any any unnecessary steps. And that comes up more than you might think. Every single, nothing is ever good enough. Um, everything is, we're, we're proud of the work that we do and we love it and we have lots of fun, but it's also effort and it's never good enough. We're always on top, not always. We, you know, we'll buy or sell any product. That, so like if um, somebody can come up with a better deal that they can get from a manufacturer, we want to hear it. We just want to be in the game discussing price, buy or sell, because you never know. And things change all the time. I'm not sure that, um, you know, 150 pound washes are going to work or 125 pounds. Uh, I'm, I'm so interested and I can't wait to see them and I want to be part of it. I'm not the guy that jumps in first. I'm going to wait just a little bit to see if the market will play it out.
Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that we do a lot of is um, we stick to our district, to our, uh, our our relationships. And what I mean by that is like, take a company like R&B, they've been around for however many years, third, fourth generation. Um, and people came in a couple of years ago trying to, you know, pretty much take $10 off per cart or $15 off and make a knockoff cart. And it would have been easy to try and save some money. But the difference is, is that this person's been supporting the industry forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And they have been every bit of the word they said they were. Now, we don't have a lot of returns, but anytime we have, we don't get a headache. There isn't a story. There isn't a, oh, um, uh, here's, your, here's your cart. Sorry for the trouble. Always. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's worth something. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to pay triple the amount, but I do take that into consideration. That if I've got a good vendor that's consistent and I can trust them, mm-hmm. I'm willing to pay them a fair market price, even if it's a few dollars more for the consistency. And that wasn't easy. You know, the cheap Jew in me doesn't ever want to have to do that. You know, I want to fight for every last penny of it. You know, and I say that with pride, by the way. Um, well, I happen to know for a fact you're not cheap, but anyway. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, when it comes to the team, man, we, we meet, uh, our meetings are less than 10 minutes. Um, if we have time afterwards, we can talk personal, whatever else, but there's a point to be made and we make it, there's no fluff. We kind of cut that out. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have plenty of personal time. We get together and we have a lot of events. And I think that if you ask anybody in the team, um, what they would tell you is that I listen to them. Although I might be a big mouth and a talker. I listen to people and I know what they're saying and I hear what they're, I do my best to hear what they're conveying, not necessarily the words. Cause a lot of time when somebody's upset, they're upset about something and it's not necessarily what's being said. So I try and acknowledge that and say, what I'm hearing is, what, what, what I think I hear is whatever it is that's really bothering them, what I think might be bothering them rather than what they might be saying. Like, you know, somebody parked too close to my car, but it might be something else that I know about them. And um, another thing we do is, um, you know, everyone always asks, well, how am I doing? How am I doing? But like, I have people on the team and I write this stuff down who are quiet and they don't ever really complain, but every now and again, they get passive aggressive. And they might do something like a machine will drop and it could be very expensive and conscious or subconscious it's happening. And before I kind of just ignored it because it really wasn't, they weren't really in my, um, you know, on my radar because they don't really complain much. And then I realized that I could tell by just watching them when they were starting to be a little Mm. bothered. And I take the time now and you can ask them um, to ask them what's really going on. And they won't tell me for the first 30, 45 seconds or a minute, but after a minute or two, they do. And I acknowledge whatever it is and I try and address it. And whether they like it or not, what I will do is I will immediately address whatever the issue is, try to come to a solution, you know, obviously resolve it best I can. But then once I've made a decision, that's the way we're going to go. And I don't try and push it to that limit very often at all. Um, but if need be there, you know, they believe in me that I'm trying my best. Mm-hmm. And they see me, you know, first in, last out. They see I'm giving it everything I got. Why do you think that is? Because what, what, guys, I know I say this all the time. Carla cracks up laughing every time. Rewind and listen to that again. Because there's an awful lot of wisdom. And when and what he's talking about is leadership. It's what he's talking about here. So when people say, I can't find good people, I can't keep good people, don't get me wrong. Sometimes people shouldn't stay. I get that, right? There's some there's some bad apples in the world out there. But I'm a big fan of if I can't keep people and I can't find people and I can't attract people, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm not as good. A, not, not that you're bad, but maybe you need to work on being a better leader because part of being a good business owner, which is what you're saying here, Todd, part of being a good business owner isn't always just watching your margins. You have to have a team. And whether it's two people or 200 people, you have to have a team and you have to take care of those people. They need to feel valued. They need to be heard. That's right. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) And and acknowledged, right. And and, and goals that are tangible. So they feel like they've accomplished. All people have to do is spend uh, maybe an hour or two with Todd Fenner. And you're going to figure out what kind of a heart he has, what kind of a guy he is. 
and he he he's transparent about the fact that he wasn't always the person he is today. Who of us oh, no, was no. right? I, was I, I certainly wasn't. And so, if if we can leave any but our audience with anything today, and you know, we're not always here to talk about widgets and washers and dryers. We're here to talk about business and leadership and servitude and those things they matter having different models different business ideas letting people choose based on their market what's best for them this is what this show is all about so i know you may feel like we maybe didn't talk a whole lot about the widget yeah, i feel bad but what you have notes, to... i had books wait, wait i got a few shout outs wait todd. one second wait first of all you can't go anywhere these that's are my what, friends. I know Marcel. And that's all I need to say. There's the wash house. There you go. It's Luke. <laughs> my brother. Luke I have slept at his house. Can you all say that? Laundry Cares is another one. Laundry Cares. Next to Laundry, because I sell them. And then I'm here somewhere. I got a hat for us. Oh, finally, a little bit of a plug. There's us. All right. We need to there make you go. a Laundromat Millionaire hat. Yeah. All right. I'm going to bring it on. Right. Bring it on. <laughs> you, oh, know yeah. what, you, know what that, you know what that just reminded me of? The NASCAR drivers and their jackets. Now they got all the patches, patches. everywhere and we stuff like that or or their cars <laughs> now that's awesome listen i think you brought people today a lot more value than you think you did okay. and i know you're gonna hear about this you know hopefully from some people and you know i'll say it again i said it in the beginning uh i met a lot of good people at elevate i've met a lot of good people over the years uh todd's one of the good guys in the industry Thanks. and so if you don't know him you need to get to know him uh because because while he may do laundromats wrong um, no, <laughs> well, I love well, no, I love while he, while he made new laundromats a little different than Dave men's, the fact of the matter is he's a good dude and he's serving his community. And as long as you're doing that within your true business model with your heart, then you're serving people. So I, I'm not here to tell people that are unattended or run a commoditized laundromat that you're not serving people. Well, mm -hmm. if you're, if you take that business model and you do it and you do it well, mm -hmm. good for you guys. So if you understand my message is anything other than that. You've misunderstood me, and maybe that's partially on me. I'll look to be I'll look to be better and do better at that. And there's but, plenty of people out there who need the low price leader. Sure, I mean that's that's part of the Everybody's market got too. Their own model. You know what? I, I would like to. You've been kind enough to offer plugs myself, but I'm good. You know, there is something I want to talk about, and that's Eastern Funding. Mm -hmm. um, they have given me so many opportunities I wouldn't have had on my own. Okay, so besides the fact that they help lend to laundromats and you could probably get a better loan with an SBA, although it takes a lot longer, those are facts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Brian, well, it's ridiculous. No, it's cheaper. It, 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 it's, nobody's about it, but it's, it's a lot of headache. I mean, it, it is. is. It is. Yeah. We've done that. Um, so, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And Eastern fair, funding is way easier. <laughs> right. But, but more than that, which is, that's, that's kind of like the, the business aspect of it. You take Grell. Okay, he's not doing it because he's getting tons of money because doesn't he's the guy that's given every hour that he has. And he's the first of all, my friend, my mentor. I love him. I love you, Brian. I love Liz. Um, but more importantly, he gives everything he possibly has to it. And if all the people saw him and he was a little bit more active online, they'd all see what we've all been watching forever. You see it from him and how mm -hmm. he does it. He'll travel anywhere in the world to help people. And he makes everybody's bathrooms nicer and every store nicer. And they don't get any shout outs because, you know, the thing is like when you think of a, of a, of a bank, right, or a loaning, at least in funding, you think of, all right, here's the transaction. You're going to, you know, here's your percentage, here's your money, take care. But nobody's ever thinking that a guy like you, Dave, or guys like Eastern, or people like Eastern Funding are making this huge difference and nobody's giving them love. But he's a guy that's still behind the scenes, killing it in every single way. And I think if I'm going to give some shout out and some love, I think, you know, he deserves a lot of it. All of Eastern, but especially uh, Brian. Absolutely. And come to the conference because he's no zombies. Yeah, yeah, I'll make him. I'll make him. <laughs> no, he's oh, there. He's, he's, he's already, already registered. Oh, even yeah. better. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Todd, I'm, I mean, it's not a competition if you bought their tickets first, but he beat you. I'm just saying. Damn you, Grill! Damn you! <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway. Do you want to say anything about uh, the Friday night party, too? No. Yes. Well, here, here it is. I, I admire you. I do. I think what you're doing is great. And for me, it's a great hookup because you're so close and it'd be great to network with people. So um, I actually did a little bit of math today. It is a uh, 14 minute car ride. So by boat, it's about 25 minutes from the hotel area to uh, it's really my girlfriend's apartment building. It's not a private estate, but it's got this ridiculous like 8,000 square foot living space with pool, two pool tables and a this. It's got a mini golf, I mean, not a mini golf, a putting course. I mean, it's just a magnificent <laughs> awesome. like hotel. No, really, it's got you know two espresso machines, Lavazza. Or, I mean, like it's a thing. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, oh. for the, for those of you that don't know what Todd and Carla were just talking about, I'm going to give Todd the credit to these editors, even though he isn't comfortable with it. Because the fact of the matter is, guys, if you're not registered for the conference, you need to be there. That's not a secret, right? But here's the fact: Todd came to me the other day and he said, "I believe so much in what you're doing and the conference that not only do I want to be there, but I want to throw an after party." And so Todd and his team at Laundry Owner Warehouse, there for those of you that don't know, know, they're in Fort Lauderdale. Like we're we weren't joking when we said this conference is kind of happened in their backyard. And so he he offered up at his own expense to sponsor the entire after party. And so the Laundromat Millionaire Conference was originally going to end at 4 p.m. on Friday. And it's being extended into, I don't know, three in the morning if Todd keeps taking <laughs> at espressos. Least, at least I know I mean, these are professional parties <laughs> every weekend. I have friends that are already coming in for the weekend also. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a short boat ride. And also like, you know, I have a lot of friends and I'm, you know, me too, in some cases, you know, if you don't want to, if you don't want to like take another boat ride back and take a half hour to get back, just hop in an Uber. It's on the ocean. It's, you know, less than 15 minute drive from an Uber. So you don't want to be stuck somewhere, even though it's amazing, lots of fun. Mm -hmm. And I can assure you that there are very heavy handed bartenders and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll have some great food. Yeah. Food, We're going to have so drinks, much fun. It's crazy. Transportation, so the facility right, right there on the water. Yeah, yeah. Just, boat to so, boat, block to dock. Yeah. So, so kind of you to offer that up to to the conference just brings that much more value for the people that, that can make it down there. Um, so we're just very appreciative oh, of that. I do want to mention, so um, when I go to the clean shows, there's so much going on, right? That you, It's hard to really have a long conversation because everybody's got their 10-minute pitch that they're trying to uh, share their wares or their thoughts or whatever. I get that. Versus, mm -hmm. like, you know, um, an elevate where you have one on one time. Mm -hmm. But during the um, during the clean show, I have done my best networking at the hotel bar at night. My best. Mm -hmm. I mean, by far. You might make a connection during the day and then see them at the hotel bar. So I do find that sometimes it's at drinks that something else happens. You know, your hair is down a little bit more. You might have wanted mm -hmm. to say to somebody, but I didn't really get to it. It just makes it so much easier because everybody's the hair is down. Everybody's laughing and having a, you know, it makes it easier to network, I think. Yeah, Todd. you can get past the small talk. I feel like in those little mm -hmm. five minutes, it's kind of yeah. just, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit more formal. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, my friend. Yeah, I, mean, I appreciate you coming on here. I it's cannot wait to spend a couple more days with you. Yes. And uh, and I just thank you for everything you have done for the industry because you're you're a very humble guy. But the fact of the matter is, when people are doing good things for, with, and in our industry, we need to we need to push them to the forefront so that people in the industry can see what that looks like. And that's that's how these things compound, guys. It's not a me or him competition. It's an us. Yeah, we are driving the industry forward. That's what's happening. Our industry is evolving, and we want everyone. It's what you know. The Laundromat Millionaire Conference. Our tagline: Everyone's a VIP. 
The reason we did that is because we want everyone to understand that they can be a part of this. Now, I can't make you be a part of it. I can't make you attend. But the fact of the matter is everyone is welcome. There's going to be a ton of value from the education and the networking is maybe going to be unlike anything this industry's ever seen. Like when you look at the guest list that's coming, um, these are people I know pretty well, and I just couldn't possibly be any more excited. The knowledge and experience from this industry that's going to be in the room, the relationships you can make, uh, invest in those things, guys. Because once again, I'll say it for the hundredth time, this is how me and Carla got to where we are. I'm really not that smart of a guy. That's a fact. The fact of the matter is I'm just pretty good at networking. And I'll just keep talking until I wear people out. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, my friend, I cannot say wait to see you at the, Mar- yeah. at the uh, March yeah. conference. Sweet. Thank you for everything you do for our industry. For everyone at home, this has been another fantastic episode. And I'll go ahead and say it again just for Carla. Rewind this episode, guys. Listen to it again because Todd was dropping some golden nuggets. Uh, so go back and look at them. Our industry isn't just all about washers and dryers, guys. Go back and listen to this again. Listen to this guy talk about leadership. Listen to him talk about heart. Listen to him talk about servitude, how he's built his business, the lessons he learned from his earlier life um, on Wall Street. All those things have made him who he is today and made him successful in a big way. And they can do the same for you. You just have to figure out where to fit those lessons into your life and make your life your life. I'm not trying to be Todd. Todd's not trying to be me. You go be you, but what we want you to do is we want you to be the best version of yourself. That's really what the show and uh, and the Laundromat Millionaire organization is really all about. So anyways, thank you all for being here. Until next time, we'll see you for another episode of the Laundromat Millionaire Show. Take care, everyone. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.